Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host, and I am coming to you frazzled. Like, it has been a very long day. It started with not being able to sleep, and uh, when I say not being able to sleep, I quite literally mean not being able to sleep last night, and then that kind of rolled into about 5.30 this morning. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get out of bed, and I've got some home repairs I'm going to do that are very simple. I'm going to get these things done and then I'm going to take a little nap and then I'll, you know, prep and get ready for the podcast. Then I'll record the podcast and the kids will come home and all that fun stuff. And the simple home project <laughs> took seven hours. And at that point I was like, well, I might as well, you know, spray for weeds and blow the front yard out. And, uh, you know, I got done with that at you know, 5.30 and then dinner, and now I'm recording. Um, it's been a good day. <laughs> it's been, actually, it's been a terrible day. It's been full of frustration. So hopefully this won't be frustrating. But I told you all that for, for two reasons. The first one is so that you feel sorry for me. Um, but the second one is so that you understand that we don't, I don't have a lot of news for this show simply because... Um, I didn't have time to prepare for it, which is kind of a rare thing for me. Usually I can at least squeeze a little bit of time in to, so that, you know, I can get all the stories that I want to get done, done, uh, that that's not going to happen this week. But fortunately we have a couple of quick bits of news and then we're going to jump right into an interview with Bruce. And now that I'm thinking about it, I can't remember if he gave me permission to use his last name. So I'm not going to use his last name just to err on the side of caution. But anyway, we have an interview with Bruce who owns a Kia Nero and he has so many positive things to say about that car. He also has some, some criticisms of it, but for the most part, he's got so many positive things to say about the Kia Nero. And I think you're going to come away from that interview with two things. One, how cool the Kia Nero is. And two, how nice and how smart of a guy Bruce is. So let's go ahead and jump into our news, since I've taken enough of your time. A Kia EV6 crashed into a barrier, a concrete barrier, and caught fire in Budapest. Now, the good news is no, the driver was injured, but no one died. So that's the great news. And as my cousin from Mississippi, my cousin Kurt, is fond of saying, I told you that story so I could tell you this one. It's kind of a little catalyst story there. I want to talk about vehicle fires. A few weeks ago, I think it was about three weeks ago now, I wrote to the Daily Tech News Show podcast, and I gave them this same information, and they read a little bit about on the air. But I want to go into some more details here. Um, car fires happen all the time. It's, it's just a, a regular occurrence across the country, across the world. Cars catch on fire. It's not a big deal. Now, to start off with, I want to go through what you really need to have a fire. It doesn't matter if it's a car fire or a you know fire in your fireplace. 
So let's start with some fire science and fire behavior basics here. The first thing you need is heat or an ignition source, depending on what phase of the fire you're in. After that, you're going to need oxygen. Obviously, you'll need fuel and an uninhibited chain reaction. So for a fire to sustain itself, those are the things you need or it needs. Now, if you remove any of those items, then the fire is going to go out. You break that uninhibited chain reaction. So uh, when we go to fires, we put water on the fire that cools the fire below the the ignition temperature, and that removes the heat, fire goes out. Usually we remove the fire by smothering it. So if you think about a grease fire at your home on your stove, hopefully it's on your stove, um, you just put the lid over the grease fire and the fire goes out. Same thing happens with like flammable fuels. Like if a gasoline spill is on fire, we'll use a class B foam and that fire will actually form a barrier between the gasoline and the oxygen and it will smother the fire and it will go out. And the final component is the fuel itself. So if you're burning a log in a fireplace, once the the log is burnt up, then the fire is going to go out because there's nothing left to burn. Okay, so that all makes sense. Now there's a saying in the fire service um, and uh, you put the wet stuff on the red stuff and the fire will go out. This doesn't matter if it's a house fire, if it's a boat fire, it doesn't matter if it's a a chimney fire, it doesn't matter if it's a car fire, an electric vehicle fire, a hybrid fire. Once you cool whatever's on fire below its ignition temperature, the fire will go out. Once the fire consumes whatever's burning, the fire will go out. Once we stop, we separate the the item burning from oxygen, the fire goes out. The only real difference is um, the, I guess the main difference when we're fighting these fires is how much water we use and how we apply it, right? So let's pretend an internal combustion vehicle's on fire. We'll say it's, it's the Hyundai Kona, not picking on the Kona, but there's, <laughs> there's a gas version and electric version. So let's say it's the gas version of the Hyundai Kona. We're going to apply water to the area that's on fire. It's going to cool down fairly easily and most firefighters can put that fire out in with 250 gallons of water. Now we take the Kona EV and let's say the batteries are involved and we have thermal runaway. Well, then it's going to take quite a bit more water, at least 3000 gallons of water to cool that battery pack down. And then that vehicle, that electric vehicle needs to be monitored for, you know, 24 ish hours to make sure that it doesn't go into thermal runaway again and, and reignite. So that's that's no good. So why am I telling you all this? Well, I've been reading some articles and then I've listened to some podcasts that... <laughs> this is so frustrating. Uh, the journalist or whoever's talking or writing is saying that firefighters don't know how to fight electric vehicle fires. We absolutely do. Like there is a world where we'll let a fuel burn, like in a wildland situation, we'll let a fuel just burn itself out so we don't have to go back and put the fire out. Like the three things that I told you, heat, oxygen, and fuel, remove one of those items and the fire goes out. Like legitimately, we're not stumped sitting there going, I don't know what to do. I put 250 gallons of water on it and it hasn't gone out. Like we're just going to put more water on it until the fire goes out or it burns up. We might try different tactics if something's not working, but in reality, we know how to put the fires out. It's pretty it's pretty simple, really. Um, sometimes how you put the fire out can be challenging, but that's what firefighters do is they adapt and overcome. So this has been a real bugaboo for me. Recently, we were I was at work and we were watching the local news channel and they just kept saying how firefighters had no idea how to put electric vehicle fires out and how dangerous electric vehicle fires were and and how we were stumped on on just putting the fires out and again I just want to go over this this is something I'm hearing a lot lately like our whole not not our whole job a large portion of our job is to walk into a a situation that is untenable in normal circumstances and mitigate it like a car fire is not going to stump us. 
Like once the car catches on fire, it's pretty much useless. We only put it out so it doesn't expand, you know, extend to other vehicles or to structures. Like the car itself is going to be totaled by the insurance company and it's never going to be driven again once it catches on fire. Anyway, I told you that story so I could tell you this one. If you had to just come up with an answer off the top of your head out of hybrids, electric vehicles, and ICE vehicles, which car catches on fire most often? Now, you might know the answer to this um, simply because a lot of tech podcasts and, and electric vehicle podcasts in the last week or so. But if you haven't heard, on January 21st, 2022, AutoInsuranceEZ.com wrote an article about EV fires versus ICE fires. Which is safer based on the data from the National Transportation Safety Board, the Bureau of Transportation Statistics, and recalls.gov? According to the article, hybrids are more likely to catch fire, which is honestly kind of surprised me. So per 100,000 hybrids sold, there were 3,474.5 fires. And during the time period that they collected data, and I'm going to go into that, there was a total of 16,051 vehicles total. And if you're hearing <laughs> if you're hearing a ton of dings, a friend of mine who recently retired, he retired a year ago, is, is text bombing me. Um, today was his birthday, and I sent him happy birthday, and he, apparently he appreciated it because I've gotten about seven texts just since I've been doing the podcast here. Sorry about the dings. He's going to continue. That's just the way he is. Anyway, per 100,000 gas vehicles sold, there was 1,529.9 fires. So about 40% of the hybrids, if I'm doing my math right, and you know I'm tired, so I could be wrong. And for the time period they collected data, that was 199,533 fires. And EVs per 100 thousand vehicles sold. There were 25.1 fires per 100,000 vehicles, 25 fires, and a total of 52 fires total. Now, here comes the caveat. As best as I can tell, because I looked at the sources uh, that they used in the article, this data comes from a 2018 report spanning 2013 to 2017. So that's 2017, like halfway through 2017 is when the Model 3 came out. So it's not, I'm not going to say that it's not good data because it's still good data, but it's like there, there hasn't, there wasn't that many electric vehicles being sold during that time period. It was pretty much Tesla and the Nissan Leaf and maybe some outliers. That was it. I'm actually really happy that this is being reported and it's gotten so much traction over the last couple of weeks. Cause like I said, the article came out January 21st and I wrote into the daily tech news show sometime at the end of January, beginning of February. And I've heard this cited on podcasts as early as, or as late as this week. So that this is a good thing, but we need more up-to-date numbers because there just wasn't very many electric vehicles during the time period of 2013 to 2017. And to be clear, I still think the data will be really good for electric vehicles, but I would like to see the current data from 2017 to 2021. So there you go. Hopefully that was educational and now I can lift that off my shoulders because I've been carrying this, this big basket full of rocks on my shoulders with that data and, and, it being misquoted or misrepresented. And the biggest thing was that firefighters don't know how to put these things out. Like we're developing tactics to get better at it, but we know how fires go out. Speaking of fires, I told you that story so I could tell you this one. No, speaking of fires, I have a fire in my heart for the ID buzz, uh, which is VW's Microbus. The latest episode of Fully Charged, which you should definitely go and check that show out. Patreon supporter Karen actually turned me on to this channel. I knew it existed, but I didn't really watch it until I met Karen and she really talked him up. 
The Microbus is debuting on March 9th, but here's what we know so far. It's going to be based on the MEB platform, rear-wheel drive, bi-directional charging, so you'll be able to power tools or your blender if you want a margarita in the woods. You can power your home or you can charge other EVs. In terms of charging, VW has actually partnered with various unannounced charging networks for plug and charge. Basically, just like when you have a Tesla and you roll up at the supercharger, you drive up to the charger of your choice or the partnered charger of your choice. You plug in your build through your car software, and then you don't need a ton of apps for your phone. No frustration. So, uh, or possibly little frustration. <laughs> Who knows how it's going to actually work out, but I, I applaud their efforts in this regard. The battery size we think it's going to be 77 kilowatt hours standard, but we don't know. The electric motor, like I said before, will be rear-mounted 150 kilowatt motor. No official range, but if you assume that it's a 77 kilowatt hour battery and you do the math, I didn't, but but the fine folks at uh, Fully Charged Show, they did. It's about 250 mile range based on that math. I hope that's not the case. I hope they're at least 300 miles because I don't think this... Uh, the bus is as compelling at 250 mile range. Let's see. On the interior, we're going to get seven USB-C ports and up to a, it says up to 12 inch display, which seems kind of small, but it's 12 inches is bigger than the ID4 screen. Um, with the back seats down, you'll get four cubic meters of space, which is about 27 square feet. And with the seats up, you'll get one cubic meter, which is about 10 square feet. When I was watching the video, I was like, man, this thing is, is tiny. Cause the presenter, when he was standing there, he was like, his, you know, he was heads and shoulders above the vehicle. But later they mentioned in, in the, the video that the presenter was six foot five. So <laughs> I was like, oh, well that, that makes sense. Um, this six foot five presenter looked very comfortable driving around in this vehicle. He mentioned the seat is squishy and comfortable, much like an armchair. The wheels are in front of the driver, not like the old original microbus where the driver was sitting on the wheels, kind of like a fire truck. I was kind of, ex- I was kind of hoping that that would be the case where, cause it gives you a better turning radius, but still the, the ID buzz still has a really good turning radius. And there are going to be other versions of the car coming after the initial launch. So I'm sure there'll be a 300 mile version, 300 plus mile version at some point, but who knows when that's actually going to take place. Let's move into some Tesla news. Tesla announced on Twitter that it manufactured its 1 millionth 4680 battery cell in January. So since battery day, which was September 22nd, 2020, they have a million cells. And that seems like a lot, but I did some back of the met- back of the napkin math, and that's about 2,016 cells a day. Now, this is all produced at Tesla's pilot production line in Fremont, and we don't know how many of those million cells have met Tesla's standards to actually go into vehicles. According to Tesla, the 4680 battery cell is five times more volume than the 2170. And Troy Teslike on Twitter did a little bit of math. So the Model Y long range uses 4,416 2170 cells. And I feel confident that the Model Ys built in Texas will have similar range to the Fremont Model Ys. But then again, who knows? Tesla does a a lot of strange things, and I'm often wrong. But for this scenario, let's just say that the Fremont and the Texas Model Ys have similar range That would mean that the Texas Model Ys only need 806 4680 battery cells. So that's quite a bit less. So how far would a million battery cells go? Actually, let's let's not do that. Let's say that only 70% of those 4680 uh, cells are are able to meet standards. So we throw out 30% and now we have 700 left over or 700,000 cells left over. How many model Ys could the Tesla could Tesla produce? And the answer is 868 model Ys with the 700 battery cells. Now if we assume that all million cells met standards, that's 1240 model Y long ranges that they can build. 
Now, if they're putting less cells in the vehicle, that decreases the weight, which will increase the range. So maybe they don't have to put quite as many 4680 cells in. Maybe they can get away with like 700 cells. Doesn't really matter. They're, they're still not going to be able to produce very many vehicles. Now, also, having said all of that, I'm sure at this point, Tesla is probably close to figuring out the manufacturing for the 4680 cells, and they can probably start producing them at scale, and it's probably not going to be a huge issue. I think it's going to be quite a while before we have parity with all of the Model Ys in terms of the 4680 cells and the structural battery packs. And the reason why is the only way for this to work at scale, or the only way that I can see that it works at scale is to have these battery factories either connected to the car plant or really close to the car plant to make it easier to transport these batteries to where they need to be. And when I say batteries, I mean battery packs. Um, you know, Shanghai, Texas, Berlin, they're all getting battery plants. Fremont, at some point in time, either Tesla just abandons that factory altogether which is likely, um, it's not unlikely, I should say, I shouldn't say it's likely, but there's a real possibility that Tesla uh, exits California as far as production goes and moves to a state that's more friendly or offers more friendly terms. But in any case, my point remains the same. The vehicles and the batteries need to be built in proximity of one another. Otherwise, this isn't a very efficient system. And we won't talk about this right now, but if you want to add more complexity, the Cybertruck's coming out in two years. So that adds more complexity to the whole thing as well. Speaking of complexity, you know what's not complicated? Going to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt and signing up and becoming a patron of this show. I only ask for $1 a month, which is really reasonable. And all of the ads are gone. Poof. They are gone. So if you are interested in listening to this show ad-free, go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt. If you don't mind the ads, that's awesome. You can continue listening to the ads, but you want to help out somehow, tell a friend. That's the best way to help out. If you know somebody who's interested in electric vehicles and might enjoy this show, give us a recommendation to your friend. I would really appreciate it. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, the moment has come. Our interview with Bruce. This interview actually came about in a pretty cool way. Um, I was sitting down having dinner. My family had already eaten dinner. I got home a little late and I was by myself and I was watching something on my iPhone and I get a text from Allison Sheridan and she said, you should really have Bruce and then his last name on the show. He's a super smart guy and I think he'd be a really good fit. Now, what I don't think Allison knew was, is I had already interacted with 
Bruce, and I did think he was a super smart guy and would be a good fit for the show. One of my goals with this podcast was to shed light on other EVs that kind of just kind of got lost in the shuffle. And I honestly think, because I've done this myself, the Kia Nero is probably the, the most underrated EV out there. I mean, just do a quick Google search of reviews of the Kia Nero EV. The overwhelming reviews are positive for this vehicle. At this point, I am just rambling. So let's go ahead and jump into our interview with Bruce on the Kia Nero. Hi, Bruce, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, and I'm glad to be here and chat a little bit. Yes, thank you very much for making time, because it's a little late where you are. It's it's uh, 8.30, I think, somewhere close to that, 8.15? Yeah, quarter after 8. So it's perfect time for me, a little late for you, but I appreciate you making the time. Before we go into our interview, I would like uh, just to give you a few minutes to, as much as you feel comfortable, tell us about yourself. So cool. So my name is, is Bruce. I live just outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. So in what some of our coastal friends might refer to as flyover. And some of that has to do with, with a little bit of what we'll talk about, about some of the choices that I made. Um, I have worked in climate sciences for um, much of the last 15 years. And from that perspective, um, and being, you know, relatively privileged in a lot of different ways, I realized we were kind of early in some aspects of the popular uptake for electric vehicles. So when the car that I'd had for 15 years and well over 250,000 miles gave up the ghost, uh, I decided it was time to make a jump. So I went the, the jump to the Kia Nero EV, which we'll talk about. Um, I'd had some conversations with Allison about some of the subject, been a listener to this podcast for a while. So offered to say, well, let's, let's talk about these experiences and see if this is useful to some other folks as they evaluate what they might want to do going forward. Yeah. And I, um, I spoke when I was talking to Bart, this, this kind of came up and it's coming up mm -hmm. more and more is this is the time when people are buying new cars, like, or, or when they're considering, Right. So we're, we're at the precipice of either you're going to go EV or you're going to wait a generation and then you'll go EV again. Yep. So um, I'm having these conversations with folks because I really want to push people towards the EVs. Unfortunately, some people, the EVs are priced out of some people's range uh, of what they can afford. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean the next round of EVs and the next generation won't come down in price so everybody can have one. But I want to kind of get... Right everybody thinking that direction and then helping others who might be thinking um, in their circle to, to maybe go EV. So just in more specifics, why did you go electric? Right. So my, my previous car was a 2006 Ford Freestyle, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, great car made it well over 250,000 miles, but it died abruptly. Um, so I was able to rent a car for a while while I considered what the options were around that. And and I thought a lot about the plug-in hybrids. I have a commute of about 20 miles. So, you know, I could at least get most of that round trip um, with the plug-in range. And so is this really a go the plug-in hybrid route or just a straight hybrid route or just go ahead and make the, the jump to a full EV? And I decided that there, there's an aspect where the plug-in hybrid is the best of both worlds, and there's an aspect of it where it's, it's the worst of both worlds. And on balance, looking at total cost of ownership and wanting to help find where the rough spots were, make it easier for the next generation of people to, um, that are buying a car to say, yep, there, there's that demand there. I think electric is clearly the right way to go for a lot of reasons for um, creation care as a term that, that appeals to me. So since I had the money that I could could buy one, I said, okay, let's just go ahead and make that jump and go full electric vehicle. 
once I did that, now the next question is what's actually available? So I mentioned that I live in Tennessee. Believe it or not, Hyundai will not sell their electric vehicle in the state of Tennessee. Hmm. I can go to North Carolina and buy the Hyundai Kona, which is, is an attractive car, but I can't get it serviced here because the service centers aren't actually certified to work um, on their electric vehicle lines. Um, turns out that the, the local Kia dealership had a full EV, the Kia Nero, on their lot, and I took a look at it, thought a lot about it, and they had actually been certified to work on EVs and authorized to, to sell the EV. Line for Tesla was kind of long-ish, and, and I won't necessarily dive into to why, but there are some reasons why I didn't really want to put any money into Elon's pocket. Um, and Tesla has some user interface things from what I was reading that, that didn't appeal to me. Um, I wanted a car, if you will, that had the advantages of an electric vehicle, but still had the kind of user interface, if you will, that I was used to. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of the great big uh, screen in the Teslas that I've seen. And with maybe a little bit more money that I wanted to spend. So did a lot of research, looked at a number of options, but the, the one that was available to me that, that met what I was looking for um, was that Kia Nero EV. Kia makes the Nero in three different models all on that same basic platform. So one is, is your straight up ICE vehicle. One's the plug-in hybrid. And I considered that. And then one is the full-on EV, and that's what I settled on. And for me, with the full tax credit available and everything delivered, net cost was only thirty-seven thousand. So yeah, that's really good. That's yeah, not a bad price um, at all. I did wind up driving to Charlotte to actually buy the vehicle, partly just because of what was available here, and because the dealer in Charlotte had the Kia Nero. EV in runway red is what they call it. And that is a gorgeous color. So it just absolutely makes me happy every time I look at my little red sports car. That's actually what they classify it as a small SUV. But for me, not really being that much of a car guy, it handles beautifully. I live in the mountains of East Tennessee. I drive a fairly twisty, turny, two-lane country road to get to work. And it does a really nice job on that. It, it's fun to drive. And maybe some people might say, yeah, but Tesla or some of the other sports cars, Ford Mach-E might be more fun to drive. But I'm happy with what I got. You know, uh, I try to put that uh, some people are like, well, you should only have a Tesla or we should, you know, we should only be buying in companies that are EV only. <laughs> Unfortunately, those, those companies come with at times problematic CEOs. <laughs> but if you have a choice between a Nero and, and a Lucid Air $160,000 car, like only mm. one of those, if you can afford the, the, the Lucid Air, then you're golden. But if you can only afford the Nero, you just, you know, yeah. I don't. I guess EV shaming is what I'm where I'm going with this. We don't EV shame. We buy what's what you, what you like. I got a whole lot of other toys that I want to spend money on too. So I mean, most of what I want a car for is I want something that's reliable. And and oh by the way, the Consumer Reports reviews were solid on this. And in fact, the 2022 Kia Nero actually got a full on recommended report. For the EV from Consumer Reports, um, and it's one of their top vehicles, period, in this category, much less um, an electric sort of thing. Um, you know, this has got a pretty good range. Without any trouble, I've got a typical 240-mile range. Um, I've gotten as high as 280-mile range when things are optimized. Um, charges pretty well um 
I mean, I have on a level two charger, it's fine. Sure, on a DC charger, I max out at about um, 58 kilowatts um, on a DC fast charger, which is is not great. It, I mean, it's not in the same range of some other things. But this is also a remarkably efficient vehicle. I'm averaging a little bit over 4.1 um, miles um, to kilowatt hour. So now when I take a look at this, you know, I must admit I've drooled a little bit over the Ford F-150 Lightning, and I've read some of the stuff where they've talked about its charging rate and saying, yeah, it gets 150 kilowatts coming into it at its peak charging rate. But the F-150 Lightning, from what I'm reading, gets about half the miles to the kilowatt hour that I get on my Kia. So from a range perspective 150 kilowatts peak charging for a ford f-150 lightning is about the same as 75 for me so yeah it's better but it's not as much better as the raw numbers would be in order of magnitude i get about three miles a minute maybe a little bit more sitting on a dc fast charger and i think that's the metric to take a look at how many miles a minute are you getting on that DC fast charger when you're trying to get some miles in a hurry because you're on a road trip. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's a really good point. How's the weather there in the Tennessee mountains? Are you getting snow? Are you, are you dealing with that with your car at all? We can get almost anything. So it's snowed twice so far this year. Um, we'll get some pretty significant rainstorms uh, maybe not as much as they, they do over in nashville but but that is another factor it's a front wheel drive and so no i don't have a front i actually have some engine stuff taking up that front but that actually does mean there's some weight on those front wheels but it also means i've been driving front wheel drives for 30 years I know how they handle. This handles like a front-wheel drive that I'm used to driving compared to, you know, when I've needed to drive some rear-wheel drive. Admittedly, I've not spent a lot of time on a rear-wheel drive EV, but they still have some of those same handling characteristics of a, of a rear-wheel drive that are a little unexpected for me. So front-wheel drive, I've gone through ice. I've gone through snow. And it handles just fine. Excellent. Yeah. And that really echoes what James and Howard both um, have been on the show and they own Kona EVs that mirrors what they've said as well. Yeah. It's the same platform for the um, Hyundai Kona as for the Kia Nero EV. Yeah. I'm just more con uh, curious about coming down the mountain in weather versus, because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I, I can't remember. I know. I don't know if I, I I can remember where they live. I don't know if Howard said where he lives, so I don't want to dox anybody. Right. Um, but in the areas they live, I I don't know that they're too hilly. I guess is yeah. what I'm saying. And the, the trying to get up and up up and down the mountain is is it still fine? Oh yeah, I mean I've taken this from here to Asheville, and that's climbing a pretty steep stretch of I-40 through the Nantahala Forest between here and Asheville, North Carolina. It's twisty, it's turny, it's steep. I got plenty of power to go up the hills. I got plenty of power to pull around a truck and make a fast pass if I want to do it. Um, coming down some really steep grades, I want to say some of those are 7% grades. You know, with all of the flashy signs about trucks downshift and right. test your brakes and you've got those um, truck runaway ramps off the side of the road. Mm -hmm. No problem at all. And again, one of the things that, that's cool about this, and, and it's in the Kia EV6 as well from what I've read, is I've got paddle shifters on the sides of the steering wheel that let me control the regen, um, the level of regen I've got if I take my foot off the brake. but I just put it on cruise, said, I want to stay at 65 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour coming down this hill. Cruise held it just fine. I could see it kicking into regen um, at a couple of points, and it kept it within 
a mile an hour of where I set the cruise control coming down that steep grade. That's nice. Um, you, you mentioned your, your, your long road trip. So now I want to talk about charging. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, you have an in-home charger. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why I said that's a word in-home charger. Yep. Um, <laughs> what about charging stations in your area or along the paths that you travel the most? So there's a fair number of charging stations in and around Knoxville. There's a couple that are between here and Asheville. So Asheville is about 100 miles from where I live. Um, And so if I go east of here on I-40, there's a charger um, at the gap or at the exit for Gatlinburg. And there's a charger that's a couple of exits down near the I-4081 split. And then there's nothing for about the next 60 miles until you get to Asheville. But 30 miles of that stretch doesn't even have a gas station as you're coming through the Natahala Forest. So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit makes you want to think about it. And. I sure did get a little bit nervous that, you know, as I look around Asheville, there's maybe six DC fast chargers, whereas, you know, there's probably 600 gas stations, but I've done that trip a couple of times and yeah. Okay. I sat to DC fast charge for about 30 minutes and then could make the trip the rest of the way home. Been down to the Atlanta airport. Uh, it's about 200 miles each way. The, the Kia is maybe a little bit more cold sensitive than some of the others. I've heard a little bit of a knock about that on the cold weather mileage. So that may matter to some folks, but it's not a problem for most things driving around town. So yeah, plenty of places to DC fast charge between Atlanta and Chattanooga and get past Chattanooga and nope, there's nothing until you get to Knoxville. So again, another probably 40 mile, 50 mile stretch where, nope, there's not a DC fast charger, but okay. Yeah. As long as I got a hundred miles of range, I got no questions about that. I can make it. And, and, um, we talked about the SMR podcast when, before mm-hmm. we started recording, uh, Rod is really big on a better route mm-hmm. planner. What, what apps do you use when you're planning out your trip or trying to find a charger? in an area where you're not familiar? So I've used PlugShare and I've had no troubles with it. And, and I do have to say from everything I've read, the route planner, which is built into the Tesla is, well, it's obviously vastly superior to what's built into the Kia because there's nothing built into the Kia. But on the other hand, the Kia has got Apple CarPlay, which Tesla doesn't. And so I'm actually much more interested in what I've got on my phone, again, for the way I want to use the car. If I was doing a lot of long-term road trips, this might not be the right car. But even in a non-pandemic world, you know, I'm going to do a road trip to Asheville a few times a year, you know, maybe some other places. For what I'm saving, you know, if I really want to make a long road trip and I'm going to drive up to um, the area in in and around Binghamton, New York in April. Okay, I'll go to the airport and I'll rent an ICE vehicle probably for that trip. Because I'm going to be in the middle of Podunk nowhere for much of that trip. But, yeah, I, I did some calculations. I've driven this Kia about 9,000 miles so far. That saved me over $600 in gas over that period of time. When I take the net of what have I paid for the electricity versus what I would have paid for the gas to drive that length of time. And oh, by the way, in 9,000 miles, the only thing I've done is rotate the tires. Yeah, I've heard like rotate the tires and you refill the windshield wiper fluid and you're good to go. Got it. Yeah. No, that is definitely uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to the most. Like 
uh, we take, we have a, a little tire shop that we take our car to, to get the oils changed and stuff. And the people there are lovely. Like yes. I, I enjoy working with every single one of them. And most of these places, when I take my car there and they say, Hey, you need to do this, this, and this to the car. I say, okay, I got it. And they say, well, do you want to take care of that today? And it's like, no, no, I got a, I got a real mechanic. I have them take care of it. These folks over here are so good that I just let them take care of it because they've proven to be honest. But I never want to take another car to them again, <laughs> not for any other reasons. Just, you know, we just had a bunch of work done on my personal car and it was like 18, no, it was 1500 bucks. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, and it was all stuff that you wouldn't have to, to deal with on an electric vehicle. Yep. So I'm looking forward to getting away from repairs like that. Yeah. Likewise. I've got a, a mechanic here. I dearly love. I recommend him to all sorts of friends and so forth. When I need to buy tires in another, however many 40,000 miles, probably I'll go to them and I'll buy the tires from them. Sure. Give me, give me one thing you really don't care uh, for about your car. When, I don't want to say hate. Hate's a strong word. I don't like that word. But one thing that you're just like, oh, this, no, this bugs me every time I get in it. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you three. How's that? Okay. Sound? Sounds like you got it ready. Um, oh, yeah. I've, and I've, I've been through some of these things. So one irritation, and this is going to be probably on any of the Neros, there's a bar of chrome on the dash that is real shiny. And if the sun's at the wrong angle, it reflects the sun up underneath my sunglasses. Nice. And that just bugs the heck out of me. The um, panic alarm on the key fob is way too freaking sensitive. And I probably set it off an average of once every other week. And I use some very non-Boy Scout safe words um, whenever that happens and I've, I've been tempted to take the key fob apart and snip some wires to, to turn that stupid thing off um and then the the ev specific piece of it is that the the nero has a backup alarm and this it makes the extra sounds when it's at low speed up to about 25 miles an hour so you know i can appreciate that there's no way to turn it off so, you know, I'm pulling out of my garage in the morning, and the backup alarm is in the f- or that speaker's in the front of the, oh. the Kia, which means it's in the front of my garage, and it is loud enough to wake the dead. Or more to the point, it's loud enough to wake my dearly beloved, and I'd love to really just turn that off. So... The, there's, but if I bought the car in England, okay, the wheel would be on the wrong side of the road. There would be a switch to be able to turn it off. And apparently the wiring is actually there. But what I actually lack is the switch to be able to turn it off. And that that little bit irritates me. And I, I, the switch wouldn't quite do what I want because what I really want to do is turn off the backup beep when I'm pulling out of my garage, but turn back on the low speed noise as I'm coming out through the neighborhood. So, you know, I may wind up backing in at the end of the day when I get home so I can pull out forward. Um, And there's a little bit of an irritation that the mounting holes are there, but the way the wind fairing is set up on the bottom of the car, you'd have to do a little bit of some machine work to be able to put in a receiver hitch. So if you wanted to be able to do a um, like a bike rack in a receiver hitch on the back of the car, you can do it. Um, but and there's some YouTube videos that, that show pretty clearly how to do it. And I suspect a lot of places could do it well enough. It's just would they be careful enough making the cuts in that um, fiber reinforced material? It's, it's really a wind fairing protecting a little bit of that underbody that it would be as nice as if I was doing it and I have gotten around to doing that. Well, good luck. Send me pictures because I am terrified to do any of that stuff on my vehicles because I know I'm going to mess it up. Uh, so we've talked about some things. Well, let's go back to this. Mm-hmm. Um, what did What did your dearly beloved think 
when you were like, hey, you know what, I'm going to buy an electric car and I'm going to buy this one? Um, so she's also a strong believer in creation care. So we were both very strongly aligned that buying an EV was absolutely the right thing for the planet. Um, she also liked the fact that I was driving something that was smaller, so a little bit more comfortable for her to drive if, if she needed to do it. Um, and part of the final decision between the full-on Kia EV and we also were looking at the Ford Escape plug-in hybrid was that she found sitting in the Kia to be a comfortable ride and something that, you know, she's ridden with me on some of the road trips and she finds it very comfortable in the passenger seat. And again, from her perspective, she can just sit in, drive it, and there's nothing special that she has to know how to do. You know, you hit the brake pedal, the car stops. You hit the accelerator, the car goes forward. Hit the accelerator hard, and the car goes forward pretty fast. <laughs> um, the knob, it's got knobs. So if she wants to change the temperature, she can just reach over and change the temperature. It's a fairly small screen, and it's easy to actually program one of the buttons to turn the screen off. Um, so that's not there as a distraction and the, the, the gauges look like what she's used to seeing. It's overall positive experience. You use the term that I'm not, uh, familiar with. What is creation care? Um, so it comes, um, from the Christian church. So it, it's a, one of the things in some interpretations is, is what does it mean that God gave man dominion over the earth. And there's a lot of different ways to, to translate that. But for me, part of what that means is that that God gave us this earth to take care of. To, so to creation care is all about what do we as people do um, to take care of this world that has been entrusted um, into our care and safekeeping. Excellent. You know what? I'm going to look into that a little bit more because I like that. Yeah, I'm a scientist by occupation. Uh, I'm actually trained as a chemist. Um, I have my doctorate. And and that world of blending science and, and religion is an interesting one, whether one is looking at that from a Christian perspective or from the perspective of some of the other faith traditions. And it's been very interesting for me to read what different people who are scientists, but also people of deep faith um, have had to say about that intersectionality. Yeah. And you know, my personal belief is um, no matter what your reasoning, right? If you don't believe in, in um, mm -hmm. global warming or climate change, totally fine. Not you specifically. If someone doesn't believe in that, it's totally fine. I think we can all agree that pollution is harming us health-wise, mm -hmm. right? We can all come to yep. some sort of common ground. And this is just one more arsenal when I'm arguing with people yep. to uh, to make them stop and think and hopefully change some hearts. Right. And for me, looking at the class of vehicle. So, you know, I had a budget that I was willing to go up to about $40,000 to buy a car. And the total cost of ownership for me, so let's assume that I keep this car for seven or eight years, which is actually a short length of time for me. My estimate was spending that money on this vehicle, I'll probably save about ten dollars or $15,000 over the lifetime of the vehicle as an expectation. So again, something that, that drove that, that decision. And it's fun. I mean, Allison has talked about this on her podcast about, you know, putting the pedal to the metal and punching it and, and having a little bit of fun with the car. Okay. She's got a, a shorter zero to 60 time than I do. Uh, won't argue that point. My, my zero to 60 time is about six and a half seconds. Uh, so I think she's at least two seconds faster than me. 
But for sitting on a country two-lane road and I need to make a pass, I've got faster acceleration than just about any ice car that's on the road today. And there's there's a place that I wind up doing uh, fairly often. It's a merge onto um, I-40 just west of Knoxville. That the the on ramp is significantly uphill, and there's a fairly short merge lane there. And it is unfortunate, but your professional colleagues in this part of the world have to make way too many visits um, to clean up from somebody not being able to make that acceleration and merge, particularly if there's a truck trying to come up that ramp and dealing with the trucks coming through on the interstate. I've actually been halfway up that ramp waited for the truck ahead of me to make the merge and then punched it to come up the ramp. And I was at 70 miles an hour when I hit the merge lane. Yep. And then some of the other things, so I had driven a few other vehicles, both ICE and so forth. Um, the adaptive cruise control for the Kias in general um, is, I think, one of the better ones. It does a really good job of managing that following distance, its lane keep assist is does a better job of staying in the middle of the lane. Again, no, it's not Tesla in terms of its self-driving, but it does a pretty good job of working with me. So between the car and me, we're a much better driver than either one of us alone. Sure. And then... Um We've kind of already covered some of the things that you love about the car. Is there anything in, uh, that we haven't covered that you really want to uh, expand on? Mm, not that I can think of. I've, I've hit the nits. And again, the, the one other minor, and it's just a consequence of the side of the car, size of the car, there were, there's has been a point in time where I needed to be able to get a wheelchair in and out of the car which I can do, but I do have to fold down 60% of the back seat to be able to get a wheelchair into it. But it's also a small SUV. Okay. So my last question here is you mentioned the Ford Lightning. With all of mm-hmm. the EVs that uh, you've, you've, you've seen and we talk about on the show, mm-hmm. what are you excited about other than the Nero? What Is there anything out there that you're like, oh, man, that's going to be interesting in a couple of years, or this car is really nice right now? Um, I've certainly taken a look at the um, Kia EV6, and and I like what they've done because the EV6 supposedly has got a whole lot better um, fast charging. They've addressed some of those questions. Um, It was interesting. One of the... YouTube channels did a comparison of the EV6 and the Ford Mach-E. And, you know, to the extent that I've got loyalty to a car brand, I'm kind of a Ford guy. Um, so I was at least somewhat interested in the Mach-E, but I think there's just a couple little nits. You know, it, it's one of these questions there's a, a class of user who is really interested. It's new. It's different. I want it. Mm-hmm. And there's a class of user that what we had worked just fine. Why do I want to change anything? And maybe I'm a little bit more and they, it was working just fine. Why do you need to change the user interface just for the sake of change? You know, and that, that little whole button thing on the Ford Mach-E to pop the door open mm-hmm. and that the, the rear passenger doors don't actually have a handle you pop the button and then you have to grab the handle so you know that's a little thing but it's kind of a bummer piece you know i've I've been intrigued we were talking a little bit earlier about the lucid air and that whole range yeah okay yeah that sounds cool sometimes i'd like to be able to drive a longer distance but do i really want to pay four times the price yeah I mean, it's a stupid amount of money. 
at one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. And God bless you if you want to to own one of those. I, I don't begrudge you, but um, it's a lot. So, and I'm I'm real interested in what some of the other. I forget who the the company is, but you know they're talking about trying to bring out something with at least a good 150 mile range and get down into the mid 20s. I think that has potential. Um, so that that interests and excites me. And you know, how do we find ways to to help with the charging situation? You know, if you don't have a way to put a home charger in and you're trying to charge off a 110, that's a problem. You know, my, my daughter lives someplace where she'd have to run an extension cord out a window. Um, I know ChargePoint is making big uh, efforts in the apartment charging. Um, but if you don't, you know, if you don't have a, um, if you don't have mm-hmm. a garage, for instance, or you just have a carport and you don't want to install something that costs, you know, four or five hundred dollars so that somebody can someday walk away with it. Yeah. Um, it makes. Yeah, we definitely need to improve the charging network for, for those kind of situations for sure. Yeah, like I said, I've used the PlugShare app and I've told it to restrict it to publicly accessible chargers. And that does a pretty good job of finding me, particularly if I say restrict it to level three chargers that will work with my vehicle. Let me see these on a map. And a lot of times the hints in there are pretty good, um, particularly as I've learned how to read them. And so the first time I was trying to find the DC charger that's at the outlet mall in uh, the, the western part of Asheville, the Tesla supercharger there is real easy to find. Um, and once I understood, I read it and say, oh, okay, go around to the back. And um, it's a little bit away from the v- the building in part to minimize the risk of somebody with, you know, an ice vehicle icing in the charger, mm-hmm. as the, that saying goes. So, Okay. Again, once I understood where to look for it and how to pull up some of the pictures that say this is where it is. Um, and the interface, I think, with Apple Maps has gotten better to actually be able to locate the charger on the map exactly where it is in the parking lot to get you within 20 or 30 feet of it. Does, does PlugShare use Apple Maps, or do you just type in the address um, after you found it you, in PlugShare? You put into PlugShare you know, where you're going, and you can search. And it actually has a button in there to open this in Google Maps or open this in Apple Maps. Oh, okay. So see, regardless of which side of that particular religious divide you happen <laughs> to fall, um, you know, we, we welcome all kinds of believers here. All right, Bruce, uh, do you have anything else to add before we go today? Nope, I think we walked through it. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for being so gracious with your time. You're welcome. Glad to chat. All right, everybody, that is it for our show today. I want to thank Bruce for coming on the show and being such a great guest and being very patient with me because like I've been in the last couple of shows, I was very uh, verbose with him. I've been very verbose on this show. I don't know what's going on. I got to bring it back a little bit. If you liked today's show, then I would highly encourage you to go over to podfeet.com and and check out Allison Sheridan's Chit Chat Across the Pond podcast because she sits down with Cheyenne Swenson, who is a new Kia EV6 owner, and they have such a great conversation about the Kia EV6. 
It was very entertaining. They talked about physics. They talked about dogs. They talked about how physics doesn't apply to dogs. So I would highly encourage you to go over to Chit Chat Across the Pond and subscribe to her podcast. Here's the thing. (laughs) Allison was very gracious and she said, uh, would you like to run this interview on your show? And it would just kind of be a cross collaboration. And I was like, absolutely, I would. Free content? How can you pass that up? So next week's show will be Allison's interview with Cheyenne. So I highly, (laughs) I don't, I mean, I really want you to listen to my show, but if you want to listen early, go to Chit Chat Across the Pond in your podcatcher and just listen to it. All right. I am really all over the place. This is what happens when I don't get enough sleep and I haven't been getting enough sleep over the last couple of weeks, so I might I go a little crazy. <sighs> Center myself. If you want to email me, it's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. You can find me on Twitter, at 918digital. And if you think this manic energy is annoying to you, you should, <laughs> should feel really bad for my wife, because this is what she gets 24-7. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this show. I hope you have a wonderful week. I will talk to you next week. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.